likes to lose in life. We all like to win and succeed and be successful. So it's not a matter of, you know, like wanting to lose, wanting to win. Obviously, if we're given that simple choice, we'll choose winning every time. But it's whether or not we're willing to do what it takes to win, whether or not we're willing to make the hard choices that will position us for the life of victory that our Heavenly Father has created us all to live. And so that's a different story altogether, right? And so um, we're going to talk about that some tonight again. Um, from the New King James Version, this passage says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I really like the English Standard Version. I'll put it up on the screen tonight, just in case you don't keep an English Standard Version handy. It says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Then Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, it says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So if you've ever tried to cut wood with a dull blade, you know exactly what this passage is talking about. And um, of course, some of you know for many years I had a cabinet business and, and boy, there's just something about when you loaded a new carbide tooth blade into the panel saw or the table saw. Um, it just, the wood just almost like it just went through it without any effort at all. And, and over time, you know, things become less and less sharp or more and more dull, however you want to say it. And it happens you know, little here, little there, and it's like one day you just realize that you're trying to push wood through a saw and smoke's coming out of it, right? And because there's really not much sharpness left in the blade. And um, I think sometimes our lives are like that. You know, we're, we're trying to make progress with our hearts being dull, our lives being dull. Now, the title of the messages today are Transformed by Fellowships. This will be Transformed by Fellowship Part 2. And what the Scriptures teach us very clearly is that Father has designed us to work together with other people. And the people that we are surrounded with have tremendous impact, tremendous influence on our lives. As a matter of fact, I believe a lot of people are stuck at a place in their growth and development that they will never progress any further uh, from until they experience more fellowship with God and with other people. Because it's other people who sharpen us. It's other people who sharpen us. Now, I know that the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but I want, I want to go back. Um, when it says iron sharpens iron and, and one man sharpens another, in the same way that other people sharpen you, other people can also contribute to making you dull or hardening you. Are you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, there are some people that will build you up and there are other people who will drag you or tear you down. Amen. And we've all experienced both, both sides of this, right? And some of the other verses that we looked at this morning, and we'll just kind of review those quickly, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 from the God's Word translation, it says, Don't let anyone deceive you. Associating with bad people will ruin decent people. From the Amplified Version, Do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships, communion, associations corrupt and depraved good manners and morals and character. I'm not trying to throw you in any kind of fit of regret this evening, but if you look back on your life at some of the things that you're most ashamed of, more than likely other people were there. Other people maybe even, what they say, is it egging you on or agging you on, right? Egging you on, I guess. Uh, you know, trying to you know, taunt you or provoke you or double dog, triple dog dare you, what have you. Some of the most foolish things we've ever done there were other people involved, right? 
Either they were egging us on or, or we were showing off for them. You ladies may not understand that like us guys do, but anyway. Um, we, you, you don't have that rib. We've still got that one, but anyway. Um, and so again, when we look at um, these things, so when he says do not be deceived, he's simply saying you're not the exception to this. Every person is susceptible. Then Proverbs chapter 13, so you turn back a few there from Proverbs 27. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. The God's Word translation, whoever walks with wise people will be wise, but whoever associates with fools will suffer. And so, again, I'm wanting you to consider all of these verses that, you know, we've ran through them rather quickly this evening just to review them. I want you to consider them all linked together because, you know, when he's talking about one man sharpening another, you know, we see that the opposite is true, that one man can dull another. It doesn't say that specifically, but here we see it in Proverbs 13 where if you walk with wise people, surround yourself with wise people, um, you will become wise. But if you surround yourself with fools, if you surround yourself with fools, amen or oh me, um, you're going to suffer with the fool. And so, you know, when we talk about the will to win in life, and, and the will to do what is necessary to succeed, this is a very, very important step. In other words, who we choose to surround ourselves with. If you surround yourself with dishonest people, um, well, that's going to make it very hard for you to be an honest man or a woman. But I was talking to Todd Ivey the other day. I said, you know, Todd, I said, the Lord has surrounded me with men of integrity. The Lord has surrounded me with men of integrity. And so if, if you're surrounded by and associate with men and women of integrity, well, you're going to become a man or a woman of, of integrity, right? And so this is a very powerful principle, and just like every other thing in your life, when it comes to the way God created you, your enemy is trying to use these things against you. In other words, he understands this. The devil understands this. Trust me. I believe he understands it better than most people. This is why he's tried your whole life to surround you with unhealthy people, to, 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 to keep you, you know, locked in with folks that um, are not going anywhere you want to wind up. And, uh, and so sometimes we have to break those, those ties. <clears throat> sometimes we have to willing, you know, to stand alone if necessary. And that can be a very hard thing because, you know, a lot of those friendships that have, you know, stayed with us over the years that have been, let's just say, less than productive were friendships even that started way back in elementary school for some of us or high school and, and, and have persisted. And so they didn't necessarily start out with, you know, a six-pack of beer, but they turned into that. And so, you know, this willingness to surround yourself with right people is very, very, very important when it comes to the life that God created you to live. We look at one of the greatest men in all the Bible and probably the greatest man in the Old Testament. It's a man named Abraham. 
And of course, you know, today we look back and celebrate the life of Abraham, the success of Abraham, the wealth of Abraham, the prosperity of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham, the, you know, all the descendants of Abraham, the example of faith of Abraham, going on and on and on and on and on. But you realize Abraham's journey began with God calling him out from the people that he was surrounded with. He said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to carry you somewhere that you're going to really like when you get there. But in order for me to get you there, i got to separate you from some people first. In other words, Abraham could have never accomplished what he accomplished. He could have never succeeded the way he succeeded staying where he was there in Ur of Chaldees. Father God had to separate him. When I say had to separate him, obviously Abraham had to be willing to be separated. I mean, God gave him a choice. He said, if you'll come with me, son, separate yourself from all these other folks, right? Your family, your culture. See, he was in a culture that worshipped all kinds of false gods. He was in a culture that did all these things. And this was stuff that was, you know, traditions in his family. These were things that, that they celebrated and stuff he had in his home and, and, and what have you. And, and God had to get him away from all of that in order to teach him a better way, in order to help him rise up to the man that God created him to be. And so the same is true of you and me. God is calling us out because ultimately He wants to call us up. But until we allow Him to call us out, it's very hard for Him to call us up. I'm going to be careful with what I say uh, tonight, but my mom and I, we had a conversation after the, sermon, after the service this morning, and, and she was just talking about you know, the goodness of God in her life because God called her out from her family. God called her out from, from, from her community. When she was just a little girl, um, she had walked to church by herself. And there were some things that she had to separate herself from. There was a lifestyle that was entrenched in her family that she didn't want for her family one day. And she had enough wisdom from God's gift of wisdom, gift of repentance. She didn't want that for her children one day. She, she wanted better for us. And this was before she ever even met my dad. I mean, this she's a little girl, right? But it was her willingness to separate herself that enabled God to continue to promote and prosper her and continues to do it until this day, her and my dad. So, you know, a lot of times we, it's hard for us, you know, um, uh, Wes Johnson's not here tonight, but I could just get him to come preach this sermon. Because, you know, I knew Wes very young, and, and um, as he progressed through, what was it, Naomi, Rick, 30-some-odd rehabs that he went through. And, and, um, but the, the big issue for Wes every time was his old friends. And, um, and he would, you know have good intentions. He was going to get them in church. He was going to get them in a program. He was going to help them. And, and they just kept sucking him back in, sucking him back in. And, and there was a time in his life where John Mark was just, how old was John Mark in those days, Naomi? I guess 12, 11, 10, I don't know. Just a kid, little kid, you know. And, um, and John Mark became Wes's buddy. John Mark became who Wes hung out with on the weekends, who he went to Alabama games with. Amen. But it, was, it wasn't until, and all that God did in his life, I mean, he graduated from ministry schools, he was preaching, he was doing all these things, and would continue to relapse. And it was not until he severed those old ties. It was not until he broke from that group of people. So when we talk about, you know, transformed by fellowship, obviously we want to talk about it from the perspective of positive transformation. But the same fellowship that can transform you in a positive way and is necessary to transform you in a positive way, wrong fellowship can transform you in a negative way. Wrong fellowship 
can, um, as it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, associating with bad people can ruin decent people, can corrupt good manners, good morals, and even weaken and corrupt your character. Amen or me on that? So when I say a willingness to do what's necessary, I mean, these, are, these are some of the hardest things that we have to deal with. And listen, I, I, I don't know how to say it other than just to say it. For some of you, those folks are your own family. Not all of you, but some of you. Like my mother, those folks were her own family. Now eventually she witnessed every one of them get born again. Eventually, she witnessed her own alcoholic father be born again at 65, 65 years old. But until she was willing to say no and put the brakes on that, or hear what I'm saying? It's a passage that I get, I get asked a lot about it. Jesus said, you know, because he was identified as the Prince of Peace, but on one passage he said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And you think, well, wait, that's a contradiction. No, not really. You have to understand that it's one thing to keep peace, it's another thing to make peace. Jesus didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, He said blessed are the peacemakers. And there's a huge difference. People who just keep the peace are the people who just go along to get along. Amen? They're just folks who just keep doing what everybody else is always doing because they don't want to upset the apple cart. They don't want to, you know, be the... Um, what, do you, what do you call it? Put the wet blanket on everybody else's fun. You know, th these kinds of things. And, and so they never say nothing. They never speak up, you know. But someone who makes peace. See, when, when we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, we didn't go to keep peace. We went to make peace. Now, our military is in certain parts of the world today keeping peace. But there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. When you go to make peace, it, you're going to have to upset some things in order to create peace. Is anybody listening to me tonight? You're going to have to change some things, and it's not going to be pleasant. You're going to get some folks upset. But again, I'll just use my mom as an example. If she hadn't been willing to upset the apple cart in her family, they might have all went to hell. <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? So when Jesus said He came to bring a sword, He's talking about, He said, look, you know, if one member of the family doesn't come, doesn't come to the Lord, then what's the, what's the hope or chances of any of those members of that family coming to the Lord? You ever stop to consider that God's trying to do a work in your life so that He can transform your family? Amen? So that He can save your family? He can set your family free from a vicious cycle of, a, of addiction and, 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 and poverty and, and loss and misery? Amen. That's exactly what he's trying to do. So in the same way that fellowship can have tremendous positive effects, as a matter of fact, I believe, and as we said this morning, there are many different factors that cause physical growth, development, and there are many different factors that, cross, that, that create or cause spiritual growth and development. You can only grow so far without fellowship. You can only grow so far without fellowship. Thank God, thank God for Christian television. Thank God for men like Kenneth Copeland and Joseph Prince and Jeremy Pearsons and who are, who are my, 
uh, what's, I'm trying to think of his name, John, he's uh, Joel Osteen's associate pastor, John Gray, thank God for John Gray, that is a preaching machine, Lord Jesus. So, you know, I hear people tell me all the time, well, Pastor Mark, we just stay home and watch it on TV. Well, you'll grow a little bit with that. But you've got to have fellowship. You can have the best Bible teachers and preachers on planet Earth right there on your television screen teaching you the pure, unadulterated Word of God. But you're not going to grow and mature like you need to grow and mature. You're not going to be sharp like you need to be sharpened unless you fellowship with other members of the body of Christ. It's the way Father set this thing up. So a lot of folks, see, they want to watch a little Jesus on TV and then go hang out with their old friends later that afternoon and wonder why it's so hard for them to ever make any progress in the things that they need to make progress in. All right, let's go. I don't have time to fully develop this tonight, but I want to at least get started on it. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me, um, <clears throat> before we look at that verse, let me, this is a very, a very uh, practical example of what I've been talking about today. But um, back in the mid-1990s, I, I had uh, started playing a lot of racquetball. That's a lot of good exercise there if you've ever played. But uh, racquetball is more than just slapping a ball around. If, you, if you've ever played with somebody that knows how to play, it's a game of, of angles. And, you know, you, you get in a racquetball court with somebody that really knows how to play, and they will have you sweating puddles while they don't even hardly ever move anything but their wrist, you know, because they know how to work the angles when they hit the ball there. So I was playing with a guy. We, we played a couple of mornings a week, and um, we were about, you know, in other words, if we played ten games, I may beat him four or five, and he may beat me five or six or vice versa. In other words, we were about equal. Well, his schedule changed, and, and we weren't able to play any longer, so we picked up different partners. Well, he played with a guy that we went to church with an older guy and um, I was playing with a guy who's very athletic but he didn't have a lot of racquetball experience and so I could beat I could beat my new partner maybe eight nine times you know I'm thinking man look at me you know so every now and then I'd see my other guy that I played with and I'd say how, how you know he's like man he beats me every time he said I don't think I've even beat him once he said I've, I've come close a time or two and I'm like yeah you know so after a few months of this his schedule changed back and we started playing again I'm thinking I'm going to dominate him. Wrong. I, I, did, I, I was really proud if I could beat him once. Now, what's the difference? See, I, I had this feeling that, boy, look at how good of a player I am. But I was playing down. In other words, I was playing somebody that wasn't as skilled as I was. But he was playing up. See, he was playing somebody that was way better than him. And you feel like a loser. You know, you play three, four games, racquetball, and you come out of there sweating, ringing wet, and lost all three of them. You think, man, I just need to give this game up. But what was happening, even though he felt like a loser, he was actually winning because he was hanging around someone who was more successful in something that he wanted to be successful in. 
Are you following me? Right? So it was humbling for him, and whether he realized it or not, he was actually getting better. So I made the statement this morning, I said, because of our insecurities, we like to surround ourselves with people that we feel superior to. And, you know, we feel like we know more than them, or, you know, we may have our issues, but not as bad as the other folks we're surrounded with. No, 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 please. Humble yourself and find folks who are succeeding in areas that you've been failing in and, and learn from them. Follow them. Father's call on your life is an upward call. The Bible says He wants to exalt you. That means, that means He wants to raise you to a higher condition of honor, dignity, and prosperity. A higher condition of honor, dignity, and prosperity. Well, let's look at this verse here in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, when the Lord first started speaking to me about transformed by fellowship and the, and the transformational power that's released in our lives through fellowship. Do you understand what transformed means? It means changed. 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 Come on now. Anybody in here needing some things changed in our lives? Well, fellowship is a key factor in changing these things. The reason they've stayed the same is because our fellowship levels and the people we fellowship with have stayed the same. Right? You realize that if me and my original partner had never played anybody else in racquetball, right, we might have improved just a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? But it was only when he got someone that was much better that helped him be better. So when we're talking about transformation, and, and that was what the Holy Spirit began to deal with me in my heart. Those were the words, transformed by fellowship. Well, Anytime I hear the word transformed, my heart goes immediately to two passages. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this passage that we looked at tonight, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, where he talks about being transformed into the same image, the image being the image of Jesus Himself, from glory to glory, and how the Spirit of the Lord is the one who brings the change. Now, this word transformed here is a unique word. It is the root word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. Okay? Metamorphosis as in a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Now, there is a counterpart word in the Greek... And it's the biggest word like mayonnaise that I may know from the Greek, okay? And it corresponds with metamorpho, amen, as it would be pronounced, the transliteration in Greek. Two O's at the end, P-H-O-O -O at the end. And the counterpart is the word metaschematizo, okay? Yeah, there's no test on this other than the life that you live in the coming days, okay? In other words, metaschematizo. Now, both of these words 
speak to change. Right? Both of these words speak of things being changed in our lives. But here's the key difference. Change that would fall into the category of metaschematizo, think especially if anybody here in electronics or um, in uh, you know, blueprint reading or, or electrical, think schematics. Metaschematizo, one of our root uh, English words comes, I mean, one of our English words comes from that root, schematics. So the idea is the scheme, the layout, right? So the idea behind a change in our lives through metaschematizo, this would simply be the changing of things by adding to, taking away, um, or, you know, increasing or decreasing. So, like, for an example, um, you need to lose some weight or you need to gain some weight. And so you decrease the amount of food you eat, you increase the amount of healthy food that you eat, you increase the amount of exercise, you decrease the amount of sofa time. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, so you, you, you manipulate these different factors in your life and you can experience change. That would be changed through metaschematizo. Now again, if we were to all evaluate our lives, every person in this room, there are things that, myself certainly included, we could use some more of this and some less of that. Come on now, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I could do a little more of this and a little less of that. I could add some things here. I could take away some things there. And it, it would make my life better. It would be an improvement, okay? And that's metaschematizo. But Jesus didn't come just to rearrange things in your life. He didn't come to just add a little here and take a little off the top there. Jesus came to radically transform you. He came to bring a metamorphosis to your life. So metamorphosis is when a thing is changed at the essence of what it is. This is metamorphosis. You do realize that a a butterfly is not just a caterpillar that grew some wings. A caterpillar goes through in that cocoon that, that it becomes enshrouded in, as it's surrounded by that cocoon, it goes through a transformation. And when it emerges from that cocoon, it's transformed into something completely different than what it was when it went into that cocoon. That's transformation. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about you and me experiencing a metamorphosis in our lives. Now, when the Lord directed me, and I'm, I'm closing it up tonight, when the Lord, again, began to speak to me about this transformation by fellowship, I went to this passage, and I, the passage I'm very familiar with. I mean, those of you who have been at Heritage, you know, for any extended period of time, you know that I refer to this passage often. But the one thing that I never realized is exactly where the glory that we are to look at is coming from within the context of these verses. I've always believed that if you want to see the glory of Jesus, you need to read the Gospels. Now don't misunderstand me, that's that's certainly true, and I'm not trying to say that that's wrong, we shouldn't do that. But the context of this, and I'll show you next week, the well, it's Mother's Day, I don't know, we'll... If not next week, week after. How about that? All right, we'll let the Lord show us on that one. I know Rick's listening, Matt's listening. All right. 
But the glory that He's talking about here that transforms us is speaking of the glory of God that's in every born-again believer shining through them. That's the glory that He says when we are exposed to it will transform us. Let me just read verse 8 to you from the Passion Translation. Because the context is Moses was exposed to the glory of God and his flesh actually absorbed it. Remember, your flesh is made from dirt. And so in the same way that dirt will absorb things, your flesh will absorb, your flesh will absorb radiation. I don't recommend it, but it will. Okay. And so his flesh absorbed the glory of God and literally when he came down off the mountain, he, he glowed. I mean like glowed in the dark. I mean like a big old lightning bug glowed. Are you understand what I'm saying? And because he glowed with the glory of God, the people couldn't stand to look at him. And so Moses put a veil over his face so that the people you know, would not be like weirded out or freaked out by being exposed to just a reflection of the glory of God. So that's the context of this that leads us to verse 18 and beyond. But verse 8 from the message translation, it says this, Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that now shines from us. Wow. Stand with me tonight. Thank you, Jesus. So when we talk about being transformed by fellowship, please hear me. God's wisdom is practical wisdom. In other words, you can, by the Holy Spirit, choose new and better friends. And those new and better friends will help you become a new and better person. And so, you know, obviously, if uh, Brother James Tibbs embarked on a new career, and uh, he's working around men who have, you know, done commercial heating and air for decades, and now he's learning commercial heating and air. And so there's that practical application to this. But there is also a spiritual application here that we cannot overlook. And that's the part that we really kind of ran out a day before we ran out of message, but Maybe there'll be a part three to this, but there'll definitely be a continuation of this. And the point I'm trying to make is, it's only when we are exposed to God's glory that we are transformed by His glory into the image of Jesus. So how then are we exposed to God's glory? We're exposed to His glory by fellowshipping with other people who have His glory inside of them. What I want to tell you tonight in great detail, I'm going to sum up in simply by saying this. Because there's never been another you, there will never be another person who reflects the glory of God quite the way you do. I see a side of Him in you that is not visible in any other person because there's no other person who has both His glory and is identical to you. So, God is such a vast and diverse God. Many 
many different facets to him. The angels surrounding him see a different side of him every time they circle his throne. And they've circled his thrones for eons and eons and eons. And so of all the billions of people on planet earth, every one of them has the capacity to bear and reflect the image and glory of God in this created realm unlike any other human being that's ever lived. Amen. Amen. I'll say this and I'll pray. I'm a better man today because of you. You realize that? Do you realize you're a better person because of the people in this room? You know, it sounds like, well, I'm a better person. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about godly, God's perspective. Amen. Man, y'all have a way of bringing the best out of me. Praise God. Father, we love you. Father, our prayer is simple tonight. Surround us with people who bring your best out of us. Surround us with men and women of integrity. Men and women of faith. Men and women of wisdom. Surround us with people, Father, who sharpen us. Lord, who sharpen us, Lord, to such an extent that life becomes easy instead of hard, Lord. It's like we've been chopping with a sledgehammer, Father, some of us. And Lord, I thank You that You're starting to put an edge on our lives through the fellowship that we have with men and women in this room that's making life seem like a knife going through butter, Lord. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your presence. Thank You for Your power. Thank You for men and women who cared enough about You to care enough about Your body to be here tonight, Lord. Father, not just for what they could get out of this event tonight, but Lord, what they could bring to it and how they could contribute to it. And Lord, the worship that they could bring and the agreement that they could bring and the faith that they could add and the anointing that they could add. Father, I thank You, Lord, tonight for the goodness of God in these men and women and how we're bringing Your highest and Your best out of one another. Lord, You are transforming us through fellowship. And we rejoice together in it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. And amen.